Dwight Nelson recently told a true story about the pastor of his church. He had a kitten that had climbed up a tree in his backyard and was then afraid to come down. The pastor coaxed, offered warm milk, etc., and the kitty would not come down. The tree was not sturdy enough to climb, so the pastor decided that if he tied a rope to his car and drove away so that the tree bent down, he could then reach up and get the kitten. He did. All the while, checking his progress in the car frequently, he figured but he went just a little bit further, the tree would bend sufficiently for him to reach the kitten. But as he moved a little further forward, the rope broke. The tree went boing, and the kitten instantly sailed through the air out of sight. The pastor felt terrible. He walked all over the neighborhood asking people if they'd seen a little kitten. No, nobody had seen a stray kitten. So he prayed, Lord, I just commit this kitten to your keeping and went about his business. A few days later, he was at the grocery store and met one of his church members. He happened to look into her shopping cart and was amazed to see she had cat food. Now this woman was a cat hater and everyone knew it. So he asked her, why are you buying cat food when you hate cats so much? She replied, you won't believe this. And told him how her little girl had been begging her for a cat. But she kept refusing. Then a few days before, the child had begged again. So the mom finally told her little girl, Well, if God gives you a cat, I'll let you keep it. (laughs) You know where this is headed. She told the pastor, I watched my child go out in the yard, get on her knees, and ask God for a cat. And really, Pastor, you won't believe this, but I saw it with my own eyes. A kitten suddenly came flying out of the blue sky, and its paws outspread and landed right in front of her. I guess the moral is never underestimate the power of God. And we hope to address the power of God this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We've been studying Romans all year, and what a glorious study it has been. The epistle of Paul to the Romans holds a special place in the Christian faith. Romans has been called a constitution and a manifesto for believers. It contains the very essence of the Christian life. One of my favorite theologians, Dr. Alva J. McLean, he calls this epistle the gospel of God's grace. Indeed, Romans is Paul's fullest, grandest, most comprehensive statement of the gospel. And as someone put it, its concentrated declarations of theological truths are like springs in a coil. Once loosed, they leap through the mind to fill one's horizon and shape one's life and then display the power of God's righteousness for the world to see. F.F. Bruce, British theologian and scholar, writes about the book of Romans. He says, time and again in the course of Christian history, it has liberated the minds of men, brought them back to an understanding of the essential gospel of Christ and started spiritual revolutions. It's true. John Chrysostom, greatest preacher of the 5th century, 
He had Romans read to him aloud once every week. Augustine, one of the world's most influential theologians in the depths of despair, being convicted of his own sin, found his life transformed by the reading of the book of Romans. Centuries later, Martin Luther, he was in his monastery in Wittenberg in Germany and was reading the book of Romans and he comes to chapter 5 and he makes this astounding discovery. For the first time in his life he realized that we are justified by faith through the righteousness of God based upon his grace and mercy. The Roman Catholic Church, which had the power and the monopoly over all the people, had it all wrong. And so Martin Luther wrote his thesis, his 95 theses, which he nailed to the door of the church at Wittenberg, for which he was eventually excommunicated, which led to the Reformation, which we are beneficiaries of as we sit here today, worshiping God and studying the truth of the scriptures as Protestants. John Wesley, Frederick Godet, John Calvin, the list goes on and on of the people who were impacted by the book of Romans. And now we come to the end of the book. This is the last message in the series, by the way. I know it's chapter 15, and Kevin did 16 last week. That's because of my knee. I couldn't make it up here. But we're going to take care of the end of the Romans today by looking at this section in chapter 15. And it's as if we come to the end and Paul is saying, now let me talk to you from the bottom of my heart. And what we find here is Paul's heart for missions. In fact, as we look at it, we find there are four missiological principles from the heart of Paul. The first one is that missions begins with the grace of God. Missions must include unreached peoples. Missions involvement is for all believers. Verses 24 through 29. Missions is fueled by prayer. Verses 30 to 33. And so missions begins with the grace of God. Notice with me in chapter 15. And look at verse, uh, look at verse 15. Where Paul says that he is he's an apostle to the Gentiles by the grace of God. He says in verse 15, he says, I've written very boldly to you at some points to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. You see, Paul views his calling from the perspective of God's grace. Think about it. Here he was, he had been shipwrecked. He'd been stoned. He'd been beaten with rods, put in prison, hungry, weary, naked. And now he says all of that was his portion because of the grace of God. I thought, what an amazing perspective to have in life. To consider everything from the perspective of God's grace. And you're not going to believe this, what happened this weekend. Here I am, preparing for this message. An emphasis on the grace of God. A limb comes down on Friday afternoon in our backyard. Takes the power out of our house. It's 1 o'clock, 1.30 in the afternoon. We call the company. They send the... All these guys come out about 40 minutes later in these big white trucks. College station utilities. They look at it and say, you got to call an electrician. Because we don't touch that part. We do this part. After that part is done, then we'll hook this part. Okay. So Friday afternoon, I'm on the phone looking for an electrician. It's tough to find one on a Friday afternoon, I found out. But I did with some help of some friends, and they came and they fixed it. And then then we called the company to come and fix their part, and they started fixing it. They said, "Uh uh-oh, your transformer's out. 
Oh, well, great. What does that mean? Well, we got to go back and get the bigger truck. Get the cherry picker. Get all this. And then I realized our cable was out. And I thought, man, this is really something. All this trouble. I got to preach on Sunday. And this is Friday. And so the cable's out. And I picked up the phone. The phone's out. I found out the internet's not working. Don't bundle. (laughs) We're still without all this stuff. Because they can't come till this afternoon. The grace of God... You've got to rely on the grace of God. No matter what you go through, because God doesn't change. He is sovereign. He is in control. He knows what he's doing. I may not understand it, but I must remember God's grace. And he is a God of grace. You see, God ordained that salvation come to the nations through obedient messengers like Paul who preached the gospel. Because up until now, God had allowed the nations to go their own way. And in the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go. But now, because of his grace, he's opened the way to the Gentiles. And Romans makes this very clear. In fact... It's a fulfillment of divine prophecy. If you look at Acts chapter 14, and this verse is a quotation from Amos. And he says, God visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this I will return. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And then notice, And all the Gentiles who were called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. The people of God are being rebuilt today into a new body that is called the church. And God is calling people to himself. You see, it is the grace of God that all those who are called will be gathered. And God is going to take from them a people for his name. In the beginning of the letter to the Romans... Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1 verse 1 that he's a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And he's received grace and apostleship. And then to the church in Corinth he says, I'm the least of the apostles to be called an apostle. I'm not fit to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain. You see, Paul recognized that all that he was, his calling, his gifts, his success in ministry was all because of the grace of God. That's why he says in verse 15, I'm writing to you boldly. I'm writing to you boldly to remind you that I am an apostle to the Gentiles because of the grace of God. It's interesting in verse 16, he uses the uh, metaphor of a priest. He says... It's like a priest and and the Gentiles are an offering. It's his offering to God of the Gentiles. Now wait a minute. What what does he mean by a priest? He was not a Levite. He wasn't born a Levite. So he's talking about a priest in the sense that we are all priests. You see under the new covenant we are all priests. There's only one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5. In fact Peter tells us about this when he says... You also are living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're all priests. Isn't that great? We don't need anybody. We don't need to go find looking for a priest. If you want to go to God, you can. 
wherever you are, anytime, any place, you have access to the throne of God because of the Lamb of God who shed his blood and took away the sins of the world. And so it is the very grace of God that causes people to turn to him who is the giver of all grace. Missions begins with the grace of God. Missions includes unreached peoples. I want you to look with me in verses 17 and 18. And I want you to notice that Paul doesn't take any credit for himself at all. In fact, he says in verse 18, I'll not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. In other words, Paul is saying it's all God's work. I'm just an instrument. And so he gives God all the credit. In fact, missions is not a human enterprise. It is a divine one. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 17, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And then in verse 19, he talks about signs and wonders. How signs and wonders were part of his ministry. And I wanted to say a word of explanation on that. This is standard biblical phraseology for miracles which accredited the messenger of God and validated his message. In other words, the Holy Spirit enabled people at that time to see the connection between the miracle and the message resulting in believing in the messenger. Same word is used in Acts 2.22, Acts 5.12, Hebrews 2.3 and 4, and you can look at these up later. But this is the way God operated in those days. And then Paul in verse 19 shares his heart for missions when he says, I have fully preached the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now that's quite an area. Here's Jerusalem down here and Illyricum is way up there. And so he says, I have fully preached the gospel in this whole area. Now we're thinking Israel and Syria and uh, Turkey and Greece and Macedonia and Albania. That's like 1,500 to 2,000 square miles. What does Paul mean when he says that I have preached the gospel? In fact, he says, there's no more work for me in these regions, he says. But now with no further place for me in these regions, he says, I'm going to Spain. So obviously, back there, not everybody was saved. So what did Paul mean that I preached the gospel all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum? We know he, he, what he's talking about is he preached the gospel wherever God took him. And God took him through that whole area. In other words, people had heard about Christ. Churches were now started in these areas. We know he doesn't mean that every person was saved because he tells Timothy, who was in Ephesus, which is right around there, he says, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And so what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, I have no more work here because Christ is known here. Even though you still need to do the work of an evangelist. But my heart is to where Jesus is not known. And so he says, he says, I want to go where Christ is not known. Look at what he says. And thus I aspired. In fact, it says I made it my aim in the NIV. And it's my ambition. In another version, it says to preach the gospel where Christ was not already named. So that they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard will understand. Which is a quotation from the book of Isaiah. 
So Paul wanted to keep moving. He wanted to go where Christ was not known. He wanted to go to the very unreached, the least of the least reached. In fact, what does the Bible say? Uh, So a, a true biblical missions program must include unreached people groups. So what's the Bible say when he said, when when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, what was he talking about? Nations means countries. Well, that's not what Jesus was talking about. Because countries change all the time. They unite, they break up. In fact, there were only a handful of countries when Jesus gave the Great Commission. So when he says, go and preach the gospel to all nations, what does he mean by nations? Well, the Greek phrase for nations is pantata ethne. We get the English word ethnic. So when Jesus said that, he was talking about going and preaching the gospel to every ethnic people group. You you can have a lot of ethnic people groups in one one place, in one country. Let me give you an example. Look at this. This is China. Well, you got the Thai and the Miao and the Tajik and the Turkic and the Wu and the Min and the Khan and the Yaka. In fact, I got a list here. This is all the minority people groups in China. The Hui, Miao, Yi, Shi, Pui, Dai, Bai, Lao, Wei, Li, Dong, Xing. You know, make a sound with your mouth. I'll find you a Chinese people group. <laughs> These are minority people groups in China. There's a lot of them. And so when Jesus gave us that, he was saying... Go and take the gospel to every one of these people groups. In fact, the key to finishing the Great Commission is not reaching more and more people, but reaching more and more peoples. What a difference an S makes, huh? So we need missionaries who will follow the example of Paul and go where Christ is not named. Do you know that 84% of the world is closed to standard missionary practices? They don't give missionary visas. And a lot of churches and mission agencies, they don't know how to deal with closed countries. And so they just don't even bother with those areas. And they just go where missionaries are allowed. But the Bible tells us to go and take the gospel to every ethnic people group. It doesn't say go where they'll let you come in or go where there's McDonald's or go where they have never killed a missionary or go where it's very comfortable, go where it doesn't get very hot. No, go to every, go to all nations, all ethnic people groups. In fact, if I were to draw a map of where all the people are in the world, this is what the world would look like. Can you find your village? This is where the people are, and God is concerned about people. All of a sudden, America shrinks. And then, if you look at where all the ministry is going on, 90% of the foreign missionaries are working where the gospel is available. We live in an Asian world. In fact, missiologists have come up with the least reached part of the world. It's 10 degrees to 40 degrees north of the equator. And that's what they refer to as the 1040 window. There's 10 degrees, 40 degrees. So this window is called the 1040 window and it's the least reached part of the world. It's got the least number of missionaries. Most of the missionaries are working in other parts of the world. And if you look at this in terms of of what are the main religious blocks... That green you see is Islam. So you got the entire, I mean, the majority of it is, are, are Muslims. And then you've got India with Hinduism. You've got China with the non-atheists and so forth. This is, this is the need. Paul's heart for missions is seen here because he wants to go where Christ is not named. And we all need to be involved in reaching the least reached in one way or another. Because this is God's heart as well. It's what we see in his word. So missions begins with the grace of God. 
It must include unreached and missions involves all believers. Look at verses 24 through 29. In this section, we find that these believers are giving, are supporting. In fact, in verse 24, Paul himself says, when I go to Spain, I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. That word there, propempo in Greek, literally means to to meet all of the needs of the person, provide an escort, give him needed supplies, give him money, whatever is needed for the, for the person to go and minister in a distant land. The same word is used in Acts 15, uh, verse 3, when the first missionary team comes back and reports to the sending church, and they sent them on their way. They use the same word. In other words, they supplied all their needs and sent them on their way. Titus chapter 3 verse 13, Paul writes to Titus and says, Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way so that nothing is lacking for them. Support them. This is part of the mission's equation. If we send out workers, we need to support them. Maybe not many of you know this, but we, my wife and I, we've been missionaries for over 25 some years now. We're missionaries with Christar. Even though we're here at Grace and I'm on the pastoral staff, it's actually a partnership with Krista where I can come and work here and and do the work of a missionary. And we're supported by many churches and many individuals. Many of you even in the congregation support us. But that's the missions equation. Every believer needs to give to his missions. We support other missionaries because everyone needs to be involved in giving. You say, well, I'm a college student. I don't got no money. And you know what I say? I don't believe you. You can give a little. Don't go to Starbucks one time a week. That's $3 a week. You can give. Give a little. Get into the habit of giving. Because that's what the Bible teaches us. In fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 verses 1 through 4, you're going to read in this passage, Paul is talking about an offering that he's collected from these folks. And this is an impoverished part of the region, Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi. And he's taking this offering to the believers in Jerusalem. And he talks about how they gave out of their poverty. They gave even though they were not able to give. They gave beyond their ability. They gave freely. So there's some principles that we see here. Three principles. Number one is give. All believers need to give. Number two, give sacrificially. That's what we see in the scriptures. And number three, give without compulsion. Give freely. Give voluntarily. God loves a cheerful giver. And the Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. You know, it's a a great thing to start your children young in these areas. Teach them to give and to pray for missionaries. We used to have a, a box with like 35 or 40 cards and we personally knew these missionaries because we're part of Christa and knew a lot of missionaries. And we let the kids pick out a card every day and we'd pray for a missionary every day in the morning. We teach them to give. As we talk about prayer, let's move on to the last point, which is miss- missions is uh, fueled by prayer. I don't need to tell you that Paul didn't believe in prayer because in verse 30, he says, I urge you. 
See, when it comes to prayer, he says, I urge you. You know, that's the same word he uses in Romans 12, verse 1, when he says, I urge you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you might know what is good and perfect and holy will of God. That passage in Romans 12, 1, when he urges people, he uses the same word here. And here he says, I urge you to strive together with me in your prayers. And it's it's amazing that word strive together, uh, the Greek word there is agonizomai, from where we get the word agony. And I'm thinking, wow. What he's saying here is that prayer is a struggle. Prayer is a battle. And then I thought about it, it is. It's a battle, isn't it, for praying? You know what? I'm sometimes on the losing end of that battle. And if you're true with yourself, you'll say the same thing. Sometimes our enemy when it comes to prayer is our own selves. It could be laziness. It could be busyness. It could be our own self, the flesh, which is at war against the spirit. Prayer is always a struggle in one way or another. It is a struggle against sin or evil. When we pray, we invoke the power of God. And you know what? The power of God works against the power of Satan. Because Satan does not want us to pray. He is going to keep you so busy that you won't have any time to pray. Satan doesn't want anybody to change their religion. He doesn't want any missionaries. He doesn't want the Bible taught. He wants people to remain where they are. In India, we believe if you're born in a Hindu family, you're a Hindu. If you're born in a Muslim family, you're a Muslim. If you're born in a Sikh family, you're a Sikh. And this belief is prevalent all through the country. And what I say is it's a satanic deception that people are bought into. And prayer, my friends, is a battle. Now you might say, now wait a minute. You say God is sovereign. And he knows everything. He's more powerful than Satan. Then why do we need to pray? That's a great question. Why do we need to pray? If God knows everything, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's our creator, he knows the future, he knows everything, then why do we need to pray? Listen carefully. Our finite minds cannot reconcile the power of prayer... And the absolute sovereignty of God. Just like the Trinity and other clearly revealed but humanly unfathomable teachings of Scripture, we simply acknowledge their absolute truth. Okay? Any seeming inconsistencies are due to the limits of our human comprehension. We know from his word that God is sovereign and immutable. But we also know that the effectual prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Both are true. And so, what is the conclusion? The conclusion is in some mysterious way. I can't understand it all. But in some mysterious way, this omnipotent, awesome God of the universe has limited himself to the prayers of God's people. Because God answers prayer. 
We see it all over the Bible. And yet we know he's sovereign. So how do we bring the two together? Except to say that this God, in some mysterious way, limits himself to the prayers of God's people. And oh, how we have failed him. Because how little time do we spend in prayer? Every day. When we know the truth that God answers prayer. You know, Muslims pray five times a day. They never miss it. They do it out of a sense of duty. But they have no hope. It's all up to Allah whether he hears or not. There's no guarantee. We have the guarantee that God hears us. Let's be praying people. And there's something else that's amazing. Turn with me quickly to Revelation. Look at Revelation chapter 5. This is the last, this is the scene in heaven which we're all longing for someday. In Revelation chapter 5 it says I, that God is sitting on the throne and on his right hand is this scroll. And this scroll has the destinies of all nations and of all men. And and the angel says, who is worthy to go and take that scroll and to break the seals and open it? And he says, I looked around and nobody was there. And the people started to wail and cry. And then the angel said, wait, don't cry. Because the Lamb of God, the Lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, he is going to open the book and the seals. And so he grabs this, this scroll from the, hand, from the right hand of God. And he opens it. And all the elders fall down. And here's what caught my attention. Look at verse 8. And when the elders bow down, they, they of glam, each one of them with a harp. And then notice golden bowls full of incense. So we have golden bowls full of incense of all these elders. But what is the incense? What is it? It is the prayers of the saints. Do you know that your prayer is actually connected with the fulfilling of the great commission? That the prayers of the saints are going to be offered to God in the book of Revelation? Should we not be praying more? Should we not be praying more for our missionaries? For our pastors? For all those who are in the front lines laboring to extend the kingdom of God? Paul believed in prayer. And I hope we will become a praying people. In fact, here's some things to pray for. Our teams are going out to all these different countries this summer. And I hope you will pray for each one of them. For safety and effectiveness in ministry. In fact, I'm leading the team to India. You need to pray for us. By the way, there's a barrel out there. And we're looking for some clothes. For some orphans. So, look in your bulletin. There is an announcement about that. And we can use some help. See, that's the advantage. I get to say that since I'm preaching today. So Paul asked for prayer. He asked three specific prayer requests for his physical protection and for effectiveness in ministry in Jerusalem. And so he'd be able to visit them, enjoy their company. Now let me quickly say this. Physical protection. Was Paul afraid to die? He was not afraid to die. He said to die is gain. And so what was he talking about? He's saying, let me live, Lord. Protect me so that I can complete my calling, so that I can preach again. He wanted to preach to where Christ is not named, and so he asked for that. You know, Paul was an ideal missionary. He was genuine. He was humble. He was faithful. He was divinely blessed. He was thorough. He was flexible. He was discerning. He was focused. He was unswerving. No wonder at the end of his life, he could truthfully say to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. 
I have kept the faith. You know, there's a lot of people since Paul who've come and gone and have been faithful. I have this calendar in my study at home, and I look at it every day because every day it gives me a person who's been a missionary or some person in Christianity who's extended the cause of Christ. And you know who is today? This is June 10th. June 10th, 1890, Solomon Ginsburg reaches Brazil to start his life work. A pioneer missionary going to the country of Brazil, and he published scriptures that he took to the prisons in Brazil. Today is his death anniversary. But what attracted my attention was yesterday, June 9th, was the death anniversary of William Carey. William Carey, the father of modern missions, came from England as a cobbler. People mocked him and laughed at him. In fact, the British didn't even want him in India because they said, you're going to disturb our business. But William Carey translated the Bible into six different languages, 23 different New Testaments. In fact, he was one of the pioneer people to abolish the horrible practice of sati. Do you know what sati is? It's a practice in Hinduism where when a person is died, the woman or the widow has to throw herself onto the funeral pyre and, and, and burn with her husband. This horrible practice was abolished in India mainly because of William Carey and his involvement in trying to abolish this. It took Carey six years before he saw the first Hindu convert. But by the time of his death in 1834, they had baptized him and his team more than 1,500. You know, we don't have to go to India because God is bringing the Indians here to College Station. And I want to share with you that you can get involved right here at Grace Bible Church. There are a number of things you could do. Sign up today to help out in the furniture giveaway before you leave, right there in the foyer. And then you could be in Friendship Connection, International Student Outreach, Asian International Bible Study. All of this is listed on the website. Go to the website, click on Ministries, and click on International. And find a way to get involved in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is Paul's heart. This is also the heart of God. I want to close by sharing a video testimony with you. You will be touched. This is because people here at Grace cared to share the gospel with somebody. That is so powerful. Do you know when placed her faith in Christ and trusted Christ, there was rejoicing in heaven. The angels in heaven rejoiced. You know, I don't know if you caught this, but she was worried about her family. And that's very common. People are very close in their families, a lot of our Asians. And I remember one of our Hindu students who came to know Christ, I was talking to him and he says he was scared to death to tell his parents. And finally, after he told his parents and a few months later, he came to me and he said, my dad told me, We thought we had lost our son, but we have gained a better son. What a powerful testimony. Would you stand as I close in prayer? Our Father, we thank you so much for your word. And thank you for what your word reveals. And how you are patient, not wishing anyone to perish. I pray, Father, that many from this church will go out and share that story. The story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his love. Lord, I pray that you will use us, even this week, 
to share the good news with somebody. Thank you for the power of your word and the power of your grace. And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen.